following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Father, it's so great to be able to sing uh, those words, to lift our praises to you, and God, for everything that's already taken place in this service, already for your evident presence here. God, we're grateful for these things. And I would just ask right now that your Holy Spirit would fill this room. Uh, Father, we want to hear from you. We want to listen to you speak through your, your holy word. God, speak through me as I do. Take my, my feeble, my frail attempts to communicate your word. And God, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that what is heard is from you and not from me. God, that's going to take something extraordinary, something supernatural. So God, we ask for that. And we know you're a God who delights in answering prayer according to your will. We believe it's your will that we would hear it. That we would hear the word, believe it, and act upon it today. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. Good morning, Harvest. Uh, wow. It's been a good morning already. Amen? Um, praise the Lord. It's good to be with you. Um, you are a container. You are a container. You're always full. The container is always full. It's always full of something. Full of yourself. Nervous laughter. Full of rage. Full of fear. Full of emotion. Full of gratitude. Full of hope. Full of it. (laughs) More nervous laughter. It's okay, you can laugh out loud. We're all good here. Sometimes we're full of it, right? Right? It's always something. We're, we're always full. It's impossible to be empty. Though sometimes you might actually communicate that. You might say, I just, I just feel so empty inside. Have you ever, you ever thought that? I just, I just feel so empty inside. But really, when you feel that emptiness, really you're still full of something. You might be full of grief. Or you might be full of despair. But you see how you're always full. You're a container. And you're always full of something. Some of the things that we, we're full of, they're, they're good things. And some of the things, they're not so good things. They're not things that we really should desire or want in our lives. And of all the things that we could be full of, Hopefully it's not surprising at all that I would come to you today from God's word saying that as the followers of Jesus Christ, more than anything else, we should desire to be full of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? That's what we want to be going after. And if we're full of God's Holy Spirit, then we know this, the container's always going to be full of good things. And we're always going to be a blessed people for having the Holy Spirit consuming our lives, filling us with himself. And if you don't want that, 
then I'm afraid that what's filling our container isn't going to be that great. And that we're not going to have all of the blessing and abundance that God really desires that we would have and that we would experience in our lives. In today's passage, in Luke chapter 1, we're going to see three people, all of whom were told in Luke 1, all of whom were filled with God's Holy Spirit. And the outflow of that Spirit filling, in other words, what we see coming out of them, That's what we should want for ourselves. And in fact, what we want to do is we kind of want to lay our life beside these individuals and say, do I have that? Because if I have that, there should be evidence then that I actually am filled with God's Holy Spirit as well. This is what it should look like in our lives. I'm hoping you want that. And so there's what we're going after today. When I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm also filled with, and three things we're going to look at, I'm filled with eagerness for the things of God. I'm filled with humility. I know it's not about me. And I'm filled with joy, an unbridled joy, supernatural delight in the plans and purposes of God. That's what we're going after today. Spirit filling that results in eagerness, humility, and joy. So let's look at the passage together. We've already prayed. We'll start working through it. This is Luke chapter 1, uh, verses uh, 39 through 45. In those days, uh, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord, from the Lord. We're going to look at these three evidences, but before we look at them, it would be good to know uh, what we mean by this expression to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Those of you who are kind of a regular part of our Harvest family, you've been here at least since the fall, know that we did a little study on the Holy Spirit uh, just a little bit ago. And uh, we learned some things about the filling of the Holy Spirit, among other things. And um, here are some of the takeaways from that series concerning the filling of God's Holy Spirit. It's distinct from the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit, which are permanent conditions for us. They happen at the moment of us coming into the relationship with God. But the filling is something uh, different than that. Here's five Uh, bullet points about this. I think we're going to put them up on the screen and you can jot these down. A spirit filling is a repeated experience in the life of a a follower of Christ. Uh, It's something that can and should happen again and again in our lives. It's repeated. Uh, Secondly, it's related primarily not to our initial salvation, but it's related to sanctification and service. In other words, it's related to us becoming more like Jesus Christ Day by day in our walk with Him, am I becoming more like Him? Am I becoming more holy? And it's related to my service for Him, uh, my work for Him. Uh, Thirdly, it's um, rather than something that's being done to us, 
uh, by God. This is a command that we should obey. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 5.18 is a great verse to tag on to that one. A command to obey, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, fourthly, it's able to be lost uh, without us losing the baptism or the indwelling. Uh, we can lose the special anointing of God's Holy Spirit or his empowerment for ministry. Uh, so we can't take this one for granted. Uh, so it's in something that's a little bit more in our hands uh, to do and to be a part of. And then fifthly, it is and can be seen, and I've already used this word, an empowerment for mission and for ministry. We need to see the filling of God's Holy Spirit as power coming upon us from God to do his work. And so in this special situation, we have a pregnant Mary visiting a pregnant Elizabeth. And the encounter is one where we see a very clear, we see very clear filling of God's Holy Spirit in each of the players throughout this. And it's a powerful scene that I believe there's much uh, here for us as we look at it. So let's look first of all at Mary, who shows up. In, in all this eagerness, that's the word we're looking for, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and so eager for the things of God. And if we're filled with God's Holy Spirit, there should be an eagerness in us for what God is doing in us and through us and for his mission. So we see that. Take a look now again at verses 39 and 40. See what happens here. In those days, uh, these were the days, by the way, um, uh, Luke just using a time marker to kind of move the, the narrative along. Uh, Mary had already had the encounter with Gabriel. He had come and said that she was going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. She was going to conceive even though she was a virgin. And she was going to have a child. And this child would be the Messiah. And uh, so she has all of this. Uh, she knows this is already. In those days, uh, she uh, arose and went with haste, there's a key phrase, into the hill country to a town in Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and she greets Elizabeth when she gets there. Now the time markers in the gospel tell us this, that Elizabeth was already six months pregnant when Mary conceived. So we know that John the Baptist, if they both go full term and there's every indication they did, John the Baptist is six months older uh, than his cousin Jesus. And uh, we know from uh, later on in the chapter that Mary actually stayed with Elizabeth for three months. Now, as I understand the science behind this, if uh, Elizabeth is six months pregnant and, and Mary stays three months, that she stays right up until the time that John is born. Uh, but we know from verse 56 and then 57 and 58, which we're not looking at uh, this week, we know that she leaves just before John is born. And she goes back uh, to her village, to Nazareth. Um, uh, she's now three months. She's at the end of her first uh, tri trimester. And so we understand that Mary must have had the encounter. The timelines are so tight here. Mary must have had that encounter with, with Gabriel, conceived by the Holy Spirit almost immediately, and, and packed her bags and left right away to go to Judah to, to see Elizabeth. It had to have happened that fast. And the text tells us she went with haste, which meant, means just a plain reading of that means that she went, she went quickly. She was in a hurry to get to Elizabeth because she knew that Elizabeth was pregnant and this was part of the sign that the angel had given to Mary. 
But now listen, that word with haste carries even a different meaning with it. And the meaning can be this. I'll just give it to you. It just means eagerness. This is the word we're looking at. Eager to do something with the implication of a readiness to expend some energy and effort to see that it happens. I mean, she's ready to pour it out to get there. She's so eager to see what God is doing in and through Elizabeth and to share with Elizabeth what God is doing in and through her. And when God is working like that in each other's lives, I mean, we should have the same eagerness. I just can't wait to tell you what God is doing in my life. I want to hear what God is doing in your life. And if there was ever a thought that should be a banner over our small group ministry, this should be it. I can't wait to get to Thursday night at so-and-so's house so we can get there and share the good things that God's been teaching us in His Word and share the stories and pray for one another. I should be eager for that. I mean, God should be just stirring that up inside of me. I want to talk about what God is doing. I want to see it in action. I want to be where God is working. And all of this, of course, is rooted in Mary's faith. Her eagerness is rooted in the reality that she believed. Skip down to verse 45 and take a look at what Elizabeth says about her. Blessed is she who believed. Blessed is she who believed. You see, this wasn't just rooted in some groundless fanaticism. This isn't just enthusiasm for the sake of enthusiasm. This is actually rooted in truth. It's rooted in the word that she received from Gabriel the angel, from God himself. That the Messiah was going to be born to her. This was a faith-filled expression of what the Holy Spirit was doing in and through both of them. And again, I would just ask you, do you have that kind of Holy Spirit-inspired, Word of God-based, action-inducing eagerness? Do you have that? You say, well, how do I measure it? How do I know if I have it? It sounds like a bit of an intangible thing. How can I know if I have that kind of enthusiasm? A lot of, I understand there are some people who are just enthusiastic. There are some people who are just like excited about everything. You know, like a coupon arrives in the mail for 50 cents off something and they're like, off the charts excited and tweeting it out to all their friends and you got to get this coupon, right? And, and just excited about that or, 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 uh, or, or men, it's because I just, coupons is primarily a woman thing, I get it. And, and you know, men and, and the things that they can talk about with enthusiasm that are really not that exciting to talk about, like, like winter tires. My winter tires are just amazing. They grip the, and guys can go on forever talking about tires. And, and I'm not talking about really that kind of, there are some people that just get excited about anything. And then there's, and there's those people get excited about nothing. Right? You know that person? It's like sometimes you just want to go up to them and just kind of snap your fingers or check their pulse or see their breathing's kind of shallow. And like, are they even here? And, and uh, the whole world could be collapsing around them and they're just over, you know, steeping tea in the corner and just chilling out. Right? 
How many of you are married to the unbridled enthusiasm person? You got one of those in your house, married, or you have a kid like that? Most of you not willing to admit it, but I know you're out there, right? I won't get you to admit the other thing, but obviously there's those extremes. But how do we measure it? How do we get to a place where we know as the followers of Christ, we're really eager for the things of Christ? Well, listen, it's not very complicated. And around here, we just say that a disciple who's really rocking it for Jesus worships Christ and walks with Christ and works for Christ. And you're going to see some things happening in your life around those things that are going to, beyond just the exuberant expression of things, you could still be a quiet, staid, non-reactive kind of person and still be very eager for the things of Christ. So let me just ask you about your worship of Christ. Are you eager to be here on Sunday with God's people? Are you like ready to, uh, to, to get out there and, and it doesn't matter how much it snowed the night before, how cold it is, I couldn't wait to be here. And, um, and, and nothing's really going to hinder that. And my default setting is I'm at church on Sunday morning and it would take something fairly big for me to miss that. Uh, do you have that? Do you participate in the worship in a really heartfelt and sincere way? Is there passion, excitement, expression in your worship? It's going to be a measure of your eagerness and a measure of the filling of God's Holy Spirit in your life. What about your walk with Christ? Do you you love reading and studying His Word? Do you miss it when you go a few days without it? You just go, I haven't read God's Word for a few days and I feel kind of hungry for it. What about your prayer life? Is it vital? Is it, again, something you miss when you're not spending that time with the Lord? Are you eager to be with your small group every week, as we mentioned? Do you engage readily in the discussions? Are you interested in things that people are sharing about their particular walk with Christ? Are you doing all you can? Are you paying the price to build uncommon community in your small group? What about in your work for Christ? Do you even have a place of service? Do you serve without grumbling? Oh, I have to go do parking duty today. I have to go and set up. I have to teach those kids. (laughs) Harvest kids. Or do you do it with energy and enthusiasm? Do people I serve know how much I enjoy doing what I do? Am I early for my service? Am I ready to go when I get there? Am I well prepared? See, all of this demonstrates this worship, walk, and work for Christ. It demonstrates my eagerness for the things of God. And it's an indication that I'm truly, truly spirit-filled. I hope you have that. Measure it for yourself. Ask others around you. Test it out in your small group this week. Ask people, do you see eagerness in me? Or something less. That's Mary, eagerness. How about Elizabeth now? Shows up in her humility. I know my place. That's really what humility is. Verse 41 and 42, we have the greeting. Elizabeth heard Mary come through the door. Elizabeth, it's Mary. The baby leaped 
in her womb. And Elizabeth, it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we already know that the baby in her womb is John. We already know from the previous verses that we studied that the Holy Spirit was on him from the womb. So we know that Mary's filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit overshadowed her. We know that John the Baptist was filled from uh, the womb. And now we know that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. The baby uh, leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry. This blessing that God then gives to her in this moment. So we have Elizabeth and Mary greeting each other. And we're talking about humility. And before I go any further, it's always a shaky ground kind of thing, a bit dangerous for a man to comment on female relationships. Yeah? Men, we don't ever want it. This is like more dangerous than combat right here, to ever comment on the relationships that women might have with each other. But I did, what I'm going to say next, I did verify with some consultants who were of the female gender uh, to make sure that this was okay. And so these two pregnant moms meet. Elizabeth and her in utero son, John, come through, uh, are, are there already. And they joyfully acknowledged, and I love this phrase from one of the commentators, his name is Garland. He says this, they joyfully acknowledged the lordship of the embryonic Jesus. Love that. They joyfully acknowledged the lordship of the embryonic Jesus who was in Mary's womb. Now watch Elizabeth's attitude. Don't miss that Elizabeth shows Mary great humility as she greets her. Because what pregnant mom goes up to another pregnant mom and says, your baby is more awesome than my baby. (laughs) Never happens. Never happens. In fact, the reality is that every mom thinks their baby is the most awesome baby. And if you want any proof of this at all, just cruise through the news feed on your Facebook page. And just see how awesome everybody's own kids are. Look at my kid Drew. Look at my kid did. Look at where my kid is. And, and then the other moms, with, with gritting teeth, like... Like, but all the while thinking, that kid's got nothing on my kid. (laughs) Confession time, moms. Raise your hands. Your kid's more awesome than anyone else's kid. Raise it high, moms. Come on. Let me know. My kid's more awesome than everyone else's kids. Of course. And God wired you up that way. And that's what's so great about it. Mary comes through the door. And Elizabeth knows Because she's filled with God's Holy Spirit and she's humble enough to acknowledge that the child in her relative's womb is more awesome by far than her son. And her son, her son was already a miracle baby and would be great, Jesus said. Perhaps the greatest of all prophets according to Jesus. And yet not even close to being as awesome 
That's Mary's baby. And Elizabeth has none of the cattiness that moms can often have toward one another. Not at all. It's only humility. So there was a surrender in Elizabeth's life to the will of God and to his purposes. There was a a great acknowledgement on her part that God's in control, God's making the decisions, God's establishing the plan, and my part is to humbly get under whatever God is doing, to receive it humbly from his hand. He's deciding what's best for me. He's deciding what's best for my children. He's deciding what's best for my family. He's deciding what's best for our church. He's deciding. He's directing. I'm just getting myself under that. I'm I'm just being humble enough to say, He is Lord. That's the acknowledgement. We see it. He is Lord. Why is this granted to me? So humble. What makes me so privileged to have the mother of my Lord come and visit me in my house? We lose this, we use this word Lord so regularly now we sing it we talk about the lord we pray to the lord 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 or all the time we just it's so common it just rolls off but we we can miss the reality that in luke's gospel this is the first time that this is being attached to jesus this is a significant moment and Elizabeth is speaking under the influence of God's Holy Spirit because she's filled with the Spirit. Her container is full with the Spirit of God and what's coming out from her mouth is inspired by God's Holy Spirit. So we can't miss the significance of this moment. Though he is in utero, though he is early first trimester though he is embryonic he is lord and elizabeth worships him as such and and, and elizabeth's humility humility aside which is admirable and worthy of our examination and worthy of us emulating set that aside And let's talk about the humility of the Lord. Let's talk about the humility of Jesus Christ becoming flesh, becoming an embryo. Let's talk about him making his dwelling place in a womb that he created. It's awesome, right? And it's humbling. Because he's so humble in how he chose to enter enter our world. Maybe you humbled yourself that much. Have you admitted in every way, Christ follower, have you admitted that he's in control of your life? 
that he gets to decide, that he chooses your path, that he ordains your steps, that what he's chosen for you is a good thing and that the best thing you could possibly do is get under that and be humble and just say, God, whatever you have for me, you are Lord. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, it's all right here for you. That the very first step in becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, very simple. The very first step is an acknowledgement that you actually need a Savior and you need a Lord. And so unless you're willing to confess that you are a sinner and that your relationship with God is not at all there and you are separated from him by your sins, unless you're willing to get to that place and admit all of that and say that you actually need someone to die for your sin, to cleanse you of your sin, that you need his forgiveness, and then secondly, that you're willing to surrender your whole life to him. That is whatever God wants for you. That he is, that's exactly what Lord means. It means I am submissive to him. But if you're willing to do that, admit you're a sinner and surrender your life to him, then you can become a follower of Jesus Christ today. That is the gospel. That is the good news that he's offering here today to you. It's going to take some humility on your part. You have to come to the end of yourself and acknowledge that you need the Lord. Well, that's... That's humility... We've looked at eagerness, all of these outflows of the Spirit of God in our life, having His filling, and then finally this. uh, When I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm filled with joy. That's what we see now in John, who by this time is a almost third trimester fetus, a baby in the womb, but we see that he too, filled with God's Holy Spirit, is filled with joy. Joy is, again, a supernatural, it's beyond happiness, it's supernatural delight in the plans and purposes of God. That's what joy is. So it transcends our circumstances. It goes beyond the things that are happening around us. In fact, I don't let my circumstances dictate whether or not I have joy, since joy is something not based in anything earthly. It's based on something supernatural. It's, it's, vertical. it's in a vertical expression. It's supernatural delight in the plans and purposes of God rather than focusing on the things that are happening around me. That's, that's joy. And so I love verse 44 and what's going on here. For behold, this is now Elizabeth recounting to Mary, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. The in utero child. It's kind of caught me this week, the in utero child, a small fetus, unencumbered by the complications of life. And what does that a fetus have to worry about? Not very much. Water's the right temperature. Food's coming through the tube. I'm warm. I'm happy. I can hear mom's breathing. I can hear her heartbeat. I mean, we know why babies scream when they come out, right? Because they had it pretty good in utero. What do they have to worry about? Not very much at all. It's like this perfect surrounding and they, they they don't have all the cares and concerns. 
the in utero child, the small fetus, unencumbered by the complications of life, recognizes the presence of his Lord and God through two uterine walls. I mean, he's, he's in his own world. There's a uterine wall between him and the outside world, and then there's the outside world, and then there's another uterine wall, and his Lord is just a small, very small, maybe weak old embryo inside that other womb. And John recognizes through two uterine walls that his Lord is there, and he expresses his unbridled joy just at the presence of his God. Our biggest problem with joy is that we live ex utero. We live outside the womb. We we live outside the, the perfect confines. We live in a world that far from being unencumbered by cares is filled with cares. The older we get, the more those get stacked up. The less naivety we have about life, the less innocence we have about things. The cares of life just begin to pile on us. It's in the complicated mess of life ex utero that our ability to recognize and worship God with joy becomes hindered. All this other stuff, it's making it so hard to have supernatural delight in the plans and purposes of God. There's a huge lack of real joy out there. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy. There's a huge lack of joy in the world, but the reality is that even as the followers of Jesus Christ, we too are living ex utero. We too struggle with joy. That we too, even though we have Christ in us, we have the hope of eternity. We too can struggle. I asked Roger and Angelo, who lead our a biblical soul care for our church, I asked them, why do people lack genuine joy? And um, here's what we came up with. Top 10 reasons why people lack genuine joy. You ready for these? Top 10 reasons why people lack genuine joy. Number 11. That was intentional. There's a lot of these. Number 11, unconfessed sin. That seems pretty simple, right? You can't expect to have joy if you're harboring known willful sin in your life. Light and darkness cannot coexist. Enough said. Number 10, fixating on failure. I would not be in ministry today if I fixated on failure. I would not be able to lead you as your pastor if I fixated on failure. So the best thing I can say there is, if you're fixating, I just, I'm such a failure, I can never do anything right. Of course you're not going to have joy. And I would say to you, just get up, dust yourself off, 
Put the failure behind you and keep moving. Number nine, discontentment. Um, I'm, I'm not happy with what I have. I want, I want more. I'm not grateful to God for the reality that my needs have been met. If you have shelter and you have clothing and you have food to eat, then God is taking care of your needs. It may not be as much as the next person. You may want more, but all of this comparing ourselves to someone else and thinking we deserve and we merit is not helpful to us and it will crush your joy. Number eight, worry. I worry about the future. I, I worry about the present. I, I, I worry that things are going to happen. I, I, I imagine things and it doesn't matter if they're real. I just think about them all. I'm a worry. I worry. I worry. There's not going to be any joy there if you're worrying all the time. It, it's going to crush your joy. Number seven, misplaced values. So many things I could put as subpoints under this. Chief among them, loving money, measuring success by the world's standards, making life more about you than about others. Just misplaced values. Number six, people pleasing. You're just a slave to the opinions of other people. I, I just have to please the people around me. I have to do this because they'll think ill of me if I don't do it. I'm concerned what my spouse thinks. I'm concerned what my kids think. I'm concerned what my parents think. I'm concerned what my pastor thinks. I'm concerned what my congregation thinks. I'm concerned about what my small group leaders think and what she thinks and what he thinks. And There's no joy in any of that. Number five, unrealistic expectations. Those can be of myself or those can be of others. It's crushing to have unstated expe expectations of other people when they don't meet those and people aren't measuring up and they're not doing what I want them to do. It's going to kill joy for you and probably for the other person. Number four, allowing your emotions to lead. God created you as an emotional being. It's okay to be happy, to be sad. Righteous anger is okay. The range of emotions, God uh, created us to have those. Uh, emotions are not uh, the result of the fall of sin in our lives, uh, but they are uh, tainted by and cursed by sin for sure. And when we put our emotions out front and allow our emotions to lead us, uh, that's going to steal the joy from us rather than allowing our spirits and what we know to be true to lead and allowing emotions to follow that. There's going to be no joy if you allow your emotions to lead. Number three, emotional scar tissue. I just can't overcome the guilt and fear and shame of past decisions and past events in my life. And I get that you'll have the scar, I understand. I have some scars of my own. Uh, but if we dwell on those, if we stay in that place, if we don't find the release that Jesus Christ offers us through His Son, through the shed blood of His Son, which covers all of our sins, which heals us of our past in its entirety, 
don't get to that place, if the guilt, fear, and shame still grip us, there will be no joy. Secondly, an unwillingness to forgive. And I understand that maybe trust has been shattered for you, and you may have a hard time uh, with certain people. Uh, But unless you are willing to forgive, you will never have joy. But your life will be a downward spiral from unforgiveness to bitterness to anger to wrath to malice. There's no joy in any of that. And the number one reason why people lack real joy is bad theology. You believe the wrong things about trials and why they happen, about God's blessings that he pours out by his grace, not because you deserve it. You believe the wrong thing about your identity, who you are in Christ. You believe the wrong thing about your purpose and your mission in this world, what your place is. So many other things I could say there. The nature of your salvation, your eternal home. If you have no joy, it may be because you have bad theology. But when you're filled with God's Holy Spirit, you see these 11 things are going to get pushed out of your life because God's Holy Spirit is filling you up. And joy will flood your life. Now I understand that there are some people who just seem to love misery. Right? There are those people, they just seem to relish being sad and always having a crisis and always something wrong. But I'm hoping, I'm, I'm guessing that you in this room, you've come today to hear God's word because what you want is what God's offering you. And what he's offering you today is the filling of his Holy Spirit, which is going to result in unbridled joy flooding your life. You'll have it if you pursue the filling of God's Holy Spirit. So very simply, the filling of God's Holy Spirit produces in me eagerness and humility and real joy. And you should seek that for yourself. And then as a, as a consequence of, of this, and I see it happening in this narrative, Mary's filled with the Spirit. Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. John is filled with the Spirit. The Messiah is right there. All four of them together in this room. The supernatural presence of God's Holy Spirit right there in the room. You see, it wasn't just that each one of them had the Spirit. But that when your container is full. And you start walking around and living your life. And moving about. And bumping into other people. You can't help but have whatever's in you splash out and onto the people around you. Now that's going to happen for good or ill. If you're filled with rage, if you're filled with bitterness, if you're filled with anger, as you walk around and you start bumping into people, that's going to splash out and that's going to affect the people around you. And and how about when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you start moving about and bumping into people? The regular course of life, the Spirit 
His joy, the eagerness you have for the things of God's kingdom, the humility that is your life, all of that, that's going to spill out and splash onto the people around you. Elizabeth splashed it onto Mary, and Mary splashed it onto Elizabeth, and John splashed it onto both of them. And that's going to happen right here. It's going to happen in your families. It's going to happen in your small groups. It's going to happen in this church. It's going to happen to people that you run into who don't know Jesus Christ. When you come to them and you say, come and see what God's doing at my church, and you bump into them, and a little bit of the Holy Spirit from a spirit-filled person is going to splash right out onto their life. And they're going to want to come and see what that's all about. I would hope that all of us would desire to have that. To have a very similar experience to what happened in that small village, in that small house in Judah on that day when Mary went to see Elizabeth. You are a container. What are you full of? I pray it would be God's Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Um, Thank you again for your word. Thank you for its clarity. Thank you for its simplicity. We sense today, Father, that there is an urgency to this message. Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the account of his entrance into this world and the humility that he showed in coming to take on human flesh and to be our Savior. We declare him to be Lord of our lives. So, Father, as we seek to pursue you this week, and I would pray on behalf of all those in this room who are right now determining that they will obey you and they will be filled with your Holy Spirit. They will seek to be eager and humble and joy-filled. I pray on their behalf, God, that you would indeed answer their prayer and fill them with your Holy Spirit. God, help us to overcome all of these joy killers in our lives and to fully embrace all that you want for us, all that you have for us. Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.